They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and both boats were filled. So much so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he said, he fell at Jesus on his knees. And because of his unbelief, he said, God, go away from me. Because surely I am a sinful, sinful man. We as a church, let me state the obvious, we as a church are part of an international movement of soul winning and church planting. Right? So if you sit here and you come under this ministry and under this anointing, that has immense implications for you, for me, for my life. Right? We're being asked to assist, to be part of, to lead up the development of the church, particularly in Eastern Europe and in Russia. Two areas of the earth that are very underdeveloped. Now, that's going to be, as far as I'm concerned, I think this is the rest of my days. As long as I'm alive, I think this is what I'll be doing. Because it's huge. The task is so big. Now, listen, folks. If Jesus even (laughs) turned and looked at Eastern Europe, can you imagine the souls coming in? God is powerful. Powerful, powerful God. And if he looked, you know, just a little bit of a breeze from heaven... Can you imagine 10,000, 20,000 souls saved? We've got a problem. I believe that. I believe God will bring in a great harvest in this part of the world, especially in these coming years. But listen, there's no churches. The boats, the churches will sink under the pressure. We don't have sufficient leadership in that part of the world. The boats will sink. And so part of our task, part of our job, that's you. Don't miss your calling, folks. This is you. It's what you're made for. So don't get distracted by the cares of this life or your career or your business or any other thing. But constrain yourself to focus on the kingdom of God right now. Amen. Amen. Focus on what God is doing. Not many days and we'll be with Him anyway. Not much time, in my opinion, left. Church planting is an immensely expensive thing. It costs between thirty and seventy thousand pounds to plant one church. It depends on the country. Between thirty and seventy thousand pounds that we raise through a system called the Missions Faith Pledge, which I'm going to talk about today. Training pastors, it costs a fortune. In July this year, if you remember, two years ago we had our various church pastors and leadership teams from around Europe. They all came together here in the Pond Hotel for a week. And that was a great honor, you know, to host that. We're doing that again this year. They're coming back again. That will cost us here, you, this church. That will cost us a fortune. But that's a great bill to be given, amen? That's a high honor to be asked to, you know, to, to facilitate that. Praise God. So things are moving at, at, at a rapid pace, but I fear that, you know, all of us, and folks, I, believe me, I'm not putting you down and I'm not condemning you. I'm talking to myself. I feel immensely convicted by the level of faith in you and in me. You can't do anything with God. 
Who's the greatest disciple who ever lived? God help us. <laughs> who is the greatest discipler? Jesus Christ. Look at what he did. Do you know, if you intend, and we intend every member be a leader, everybody look at me, everybody listen, and in the name of Jesus, I pray this word enters you and changes you. Listen, Jesus, the greatest leader, developer who ever lived, the greatest discipler, what did he focus on? What did he want in his followers? Faith. Everything he did, everything he did was about faith. Everything. He raised the dead. He said, see? He stilled the storm. He said, see? He brings in the fish. See? Constantly, constantly. It wasn't love, actually. Everything that Jesus did in his disciples, as a discipler, he knew if you haven't got faith, nothing's going to work. Nothing. No matter what you do, no matter what you start, no matter how you know, passionate even you are, you can't do it. You'll run out of steam. You'll run out of motivation. You'll run out of, you know, whatever. But you will not make it on your own steam. You need something extra, something from God, which is faith. The kingdom works by faith. Faith is the foundation of all discipleship. Now, modern forms of discipleship, because people haven't got any faith, Modern forms of discipleship start, stop, start, stop. And they're ineffective because they're not based that way because the leaders don't have faith so they don't know what to do. And when churches don't know what to do, what do they do? Teach. Teach. Everything becomes teaching, teaching, teaching. Everything turns into a Bible study and they never go and do or plant anything because no one's got the faith to do it. Okay? So it is foundational. So, that leads us to the question. Here we are as a group of people with a determination and an open door presented before us by God. How are we collectively going to pursue the vision laid before us? Don't come up with your own idea, but let God tell you. Amen. Amen. You're not the creator. He's the creator. And so this morning we say, God, okay, I want to become a, a person of faith. I want you to grow my faith. I want you to increase my faith. I want to be involved in spiritual things, good things. You pray that prayer? Amen? Well, if you do that, Jesus, very clear, no problem. This is where he starts. He starts with money. Now you say, how oh, was all going so well? What do you have to say about money for? It starts with money. You see? Now, this is not your design. You didn't choose it. But God knows you. God has created a system on the earth. A system of finances. Listen. Disciples were watching powerful things happening with Jesus Christ. Awesome things. And they wanted to be involved in the kingdom. What did Jesus say? <clears throat> if I can trust you with mammon, first... Then, I will bring you into spiritual riches or soul winning or changing the planet. But he started with finances, right? So this is primary. We're not doing this for any other reason. I do not believe, it is my personal belief, that there is no other way for me personally to advance 
other than to conquer these things here, these four levels of transformation that I must go through. Without laboring a point, because many of you have been here for many years, the giving structure of Scripture is critical that you obey all four points. If you are not functioning on all four points, you will never grow. You're stuck. Many of you are stuck. And please, humble yourself and understand what Scripture says, and you'll understand by the end of this meeting, I hope, at least a little bit of that. Tithing has got nothing really to do with your character, your personality. It's, it's about obedience. But it's not about the sort of person you are. You can't slap yourself in the back because you tithe. It's like paying your rent, you know. It's a debt. It's not giving. When you put your tithe in, that's just 10% of our gross income. We have the responsibility to pay to the church we attend. Okay. But God's interested in much more than you're giving that. He doesn't need your money. The next level up is about you becoming a generous person. The free will offering. That you see a famine or you see something in the earth, an earthquake, and you, out of your own free will, you change and you become a better person. There's plenty of people who have tithed all their lives and they are miserable, stingy gits. Got it? It's not about tithing. It is about tithing, but that's just the foundation. Don't get stuck there. God wants to change you to be a better person and then to make you Christ-like. That's the sacrificial offering. But all of this is going somewhere. It's going to the, the, the destination that God knows He wants you to live in, which is faith. The mission's faith pledge. Okay? Now, I can tell you as a pastor, over the years when I first began in ministry, you get your first church. You're concerned about the tithe, but you're not concerned about the mission's faith pledge. Because the level of your loyalty is still focused at the lower level in your own church. But as you grow as a minister, as you get older, as you become hopefully more mature, you should move up until your commitment is at a higher level. You understand? And so should we as a church, that we understand. We're not going to be a church that just looks after ourselves, but we're going to go to all nations. Right? Matthew 28. Go ye to all nations. Well, that's the top, not the bottom. That's not the tithe. The tithe funds the local church. It's the mission faith pledge. So I encourage you to mature your loyalty levels. Grow up. Grow up in the kingdom. Don't just be loyal at this level, which is New Mercy Glasgow. But we seek loyalty nationally, which is why we came with Assemblies of God. That's the, that's the reason. To prove loyalty kingdom-wise to the national church, and then internationally with VFC. So we are currently loyal at all those levels. I just want you to understand why. So last week morning and evening, we began looking at this whole thing about money. Immensely important issue, guys. Hugely important issue. Listen, Jesus said this, the love of money is the... It is the root of all kinds of problems. Once again, pay attention. Listen, we meet people with this problem and that problem and this problem, but when you actually dig beneath the surface, what's at the root? Money. A couple are arguing, and on the face of it, you could be fooled into thinking, well, it's just about... An no, no, no. You dig down and you find that the husband is mean or whatever, 
And you think, ah, it's the love of money that is at the root of all kinds of evil. But equally so, when we get this right, it produces all kinds of great things, exciting things, fruitful things in our lives. So today, some subjects lend themselves very easily to three points. Point one, point two, point three. This subject does not. Don't be frightened by your extensive notes. These are just statements. And I'm going to work my way through them over the next 10 or 15 hours. Just joking. It's best this way, I think, because the statements are too diverse. So let's just take them one at a time. We're thinking about money. And we're thinking about how God will change me through getting me to sanctify my heart attitudes in terms of finances, which is a big deal. Number one, principle, if you like, obey God and be blessed. Remember, there is good prosperity and there's bad prosperity. Do the wicked prosper? Yes. Scripture says do not fret when they prosper. The wicked do prosper. Okay, but don't you concern yourself with that. You want nothing to do with that prosperity. Because that's bad prosperity and it will kill you. It'll spoil your life, spoil the joy in your life. There's good prosperity. Scripture says it is God who gives wealth. And the wealth that God gives, He adds no trouble to it. That's not what we're seeking, but that's the byproduct of behaving correctly. You know, Jesus one day said this, you cannot serve God and money. No, he didn't say money. He said mammon. Now, mammon was a god. Mammon was the money god in the days of Jesus where they would bow down and worship the money god and pray to the money god to bless them. And Jesus was basically saying, you've got to make your mind up who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve mammon? Right? And the question rings just as true today as ever. See, folks, it, it is not just about you giving money. Okay? You will not prosper because you come here on Sunday and put your tithe in. You understand? There's been millions of people before you who thought it was just about giving money. It's not about the money from God's perspective as such. You will not, you hear me? You're not going to prosper just because you come here and put money in the offering or pay a tithe every week. It doesn't work like that. That's not what this is all about. It's not, it's, it's not a cash machine. I put this in. Now, where is it? I paid my tithe last week. Now, you were careful the way you approach God. Well, be careful if that's your attitude. And you're, you know, a woman came into the church. <laughs> a woman came into the church one day, right, in Ireland. She had her handbag. And she walked into the church. We hadn't said anything. She walked in. She took her handbag and she smashed it against the wall. And it all went all over the place. Oh, dear me. And she screamed at me. I've been paying my tithe for years. And we've got no money. <laughs> I, said, I felt like saying, with that attitude, I'm not surprised. Is that the attitude when you're approaching God? Is that easier than trying to threaten God or something? What on earth is inside you, girl? What's in your heart? What, what perspective have you taken on this? That you should come into the house of God with that attitude? Yeah, that's a stinking attitude. You've got to get that out of your system. 
Amen. Listen, if there's any bad motive in you about money, you're not going to prosper. Right? Because you're a Christian. Now, the wicked will prosper. But because you're a believer, God is going to block your road. Because you have a heavenly Father who loves you. You understand me? The wicked can pursue and they have relative freedom in comparison to you. And you can thank God for that. Because God will block you off to keep you holy and to keep you close to Him. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Right? So, point two. We're praying for the windows of heaven to open and to stay open. I want you to understand that that is not an automatic thing. They're not just good. You you can't like put a door wedge in them. You know what I mean? It doesn't work like that. The windows of heaven most certainly will open and they most certainly will stay open if we obey the motivations in our giving. Look at the list I've given you. To give willingly. God loves a cheerful and a willing giver. To give with correct motivations. You should not give to get. That's a bad motivation. If you put your offering in and you're praying for that return, put your offering in and pray for the lost. You should not give to get. Now, it's an automatic byproduct of giving, but that's it. That's not your concern. That's not your motivation. It's a wrong motivation. It's a selfish motivation. We must give in faith. We must give consistently. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and thinking, hang on a minute, pal. I put my offering in and God's going to bless me. Well, I'm sorry. I challenge you. You show me a script. I'll show you a scripture now. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Here's a guy who put his, his offering in and God didn't want it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with help from the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, when he was good and ready, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from of the first fruits, the firstborn of his flock. Now look at this. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So it's not just about you bringing an offering. There's more to it. It's not just, God, you can put your offering in. It doesn't mean you're going to prosper because God's got a much greater interest in you than that. He's not a bank manager in that sense. And he, he is. He should be your bank manager. But he's not a bank manager in that sense. His goal is the faith. His goal is that he can talk to you. Now, everybody look up. Listen. If you're not hearing from God about your money, you've got a problem. Because it's his money. If you are not hearing from God about your money... You've got a spiritual problem in terms of the oversight of your money, and you need to break that problem. He needs to be able to direct you. Okay, I'll give you an example. I wouldn't normally say anything like this. This week, problem arises in a certain place. It's a serious problem, and a certain group of Christians are stuck, and they can't move. And they're not doing anything. They can't take any steps of action. I won't go into detail because they don't know how much the bill is going to be. So they can't decide what to do. When I hear about the problem, I say, okay, 
forgive me, but this is what I did. I said, okay, no problem. That's your problem. (laughs) God bless you. I tell you, God spoke to me. Contact them and tell them to proceed and tell them that you will pay the bill. Me? (laughs) You mean me? Hang on a minute, God. Hang on a minute, God. We don't know how much the bill is. Maybe five, ten, fifteen grand. I don't know what the bill is. How can I say I'm going to pay the bill? I'm going to pay money. God. God. Find someone else, maybe? I thought about that just a little while. And you know what I came to the conclusion? I came to the conclusion that I didn't know what the bill was going to be. But I do know the voice of God. That was the conclusion. So I only need to know the one thing. I only need to know his voice. And I heard that voice. So I contacted them people. And I said, pursue your goal and send me the bill. Say, okay. Two days later, the bill arrives, you know, email. I thank God. And I look, hallelujah. I was able to cope. (laughs) And then you're glad because you had a challenge. You didn't flee from the challenge, but you stood. Listen, if you can't trust the word of God, what can you trust? And if you've lost your hearing, friends, you need to, if you're sick, you need to know Jehovah Rapha. Right. The God, your healer. You need to know. That's why he's got all these names. Jehovah this, Jehovah that. It's because you've got so many difficulties. And he will meet you at each difficulty. Well, he is also Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, your provider. He's the God of your finance. Who wants to direct you financially. Be your financial director. Right? And through this, so many other things are dealt with in the process. So many other things. He's a great designer is our God, a great engineer of developing human lives, changing people. A great engineer of that. So number one, obey God and believe us. Number two, tithing's not automatic, automatic, so don't get that thought in your head. Number three, give and it will be given to you. And the same measure that you use, Scripture says, it's going to be used back to you. <laughs> now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that you should start giving him in. It's a bit silly, really. It shows how, how immense the lack of faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Number four, sow bountifully and you will reap bountifully. Right? Simple procedure. But are you a miser? Anybody put their hand up. It's okay, no problem. We won't condemn you. There's one. Any other misers? Thank you. Well done. It's good to know it. Some people haven't put their hand up, and I'd just like to point them out. (laughs) If you are a miser, that is so opposite of the nature of God, right? Because God is generous. God is a very generous God. And so your nature needs to be generous. When was the last time you did something really generous that left somebody speechless? That they stood at the... You're giving me what? You're doing what? It's a sad thing that that's his years. Shouldn't be that way. Remember, God challenged him in one of the parables. Are you jealous because I'm a generous God? Is that a problem to you? There's something of our fallen nature that fights against that. Be generous because your God is generous. Point five. Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days, it will return. Now, the many days is the key words, right? 
many days. What's happening during the many days? God is testing me. He's seeing what my attitude is like. Look at me, everybody. You come in here on Sunday, you put your tithe in. Next week, you put your tithe in. You got no money. Six months go by, you're still tithing. What begins to rise up? Amen, Gordon, please. But unfortunately, what begins to rise in many is bitterness, resentment, unbelief. Too many days, Lord. Too many days. I've been giving and I've been giving and I've been giving and it's been too long, God. And what God is doing in the, in the many days is He is sanctifying your motives. He's changing your motives. He's purifying your motives. You are being tested. And if you continue to give and you don't give up, Scripture says that that's where the blessing lies. Don't stop. Don't stop. Remember, we looked last week at the ten plagues. Okay, question. Did the ten plagues affect the Hebrew people? Who says yes? One. Who says no? (laughs) The answer is the first three did. The first three did. The lice, the frogs, and the blood. And the last seven didn't. There was many days. There was a period of testing. God was just about to bring the people into the promised land. The greatest of all prosperity that Israel had ever encountered. But before it, there were many days of delay. Many days where they felt just like the world. Many days where the problems that the lost had, Egypt had, were the same as their problems. Many days of testing their faith to see what they would do. You see, he he wasn't just interested in blessing them and spoiling them. He was interested in sanctifying them, maturing them, and blessing them. God is a blesser, but He's not a destroyer of your life. Point six. And this is, we looked at this before, a year ago or so. This is an awesome scripture. Those who give to the poor, they lend to the Lord, and the Lord Himself will repay them. That's just an awesome scripture. You know, there's another scripture, and it says this, that I am the Lord who stands at the right-hand side of the poor. Yo, scary. Now, I'm very careful when I'm walking down Sucky Hall Street. I'm very careful who I give money to because some guys may be using heroin or, you know, alcoholics, and you give them money, you're not going to help them. It's a, they need to go and get help, not a handout. That's not going to help them. However, there are plenty of genuine cases. And the next time you pass someone that you see or maybe someone here this morning, and they're poor. Close your eyes a moment and just picture the Lord standing at the right-hand side. Because Scripture says, I, the Lord, stand at the right-hand side of the poor. And you won't be able to pass that person. Don't have to, you know, get frightened that you have to give massive amounts of money, but you can bless a poor person. That's one of the good things. A little can make a big difference, right? Number seven, those who scatter will increase, but those who withhold, they tend to poverty. And scatter abroad. Don't be, I have never, Jeanette is the same. We, we're not stingy. We've always been very generous people. And I have many pastors, many leaders come to me over the years, you know, and they take you aside and they say, Pastor Mike, people are taking advantage of you. 
People are taking advantage of your good nature. You need to stop this. You need to stop that. You need to stop this. I say, let me take you aside. Okay? Because I am very far ahead of that person taking advantage of me. Just like when you have a child. You know what the child thinks. You know what they're going to do. If you've had a child, you know what the child's going to do when they're four. You know what the child's going to do when they're eight. But hopefully you're a good enough parent to oversee the production, the discipleship of your child. Anyway, I don't think it's possible for people to take advantage of you when love is your motive. Right? Because love always breaks through. It comes with a biblical guarantee. So I don't accept it. It may look foolish. I don't care if I look foolish. That's not important. What's important is that God is, faith is expressing itself through love. Important thing. The faith is expressing itself through love. Number eight. Scripture says that the generous amongst us will be made rich. The generous amongst us will be made rich. Now, let me just say something here. Christians get bent out of shape, you know. We're all different and we all have different paths in life. Remember, like last Sunday night. Listen, folks. Do not pursue money. Okay? Do not pursue money. Jesus said it. Seek the kingdom. Do not pursue wealth. Pursue righteousness. Pursue the kingdom. Change your mind. Don't seek after mammon. Okay? Otherwise, we're just like the heathen. The heathen run after all these things. Number nine. Those who water other people, well, they themselves will be watered. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever you give in life, folks, you do get it back. God is not mocked, the Bible says. A man will reap what he sows. You sow patience and grace and love, and you will get that back. And people will eventually, not immediately, but eventually be gracious and kind to you. Number 10, and this is awesome. Money is given so that you can have an eternal reward. Davis, have you got your wallet? Thanks very much. That was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's empty. It's okay. See that? Let's have a look. Have you got much money? Okay. Dorothy got it all? Yes. Okay. <laughs> What's that for? See that money there? He's got lots of money here. What's it for? <laughs> do, do you know what people think? So I can look after myself. <laughs> Sorry. What's the money for? What have you got money for? You've got money for the kingdom. Please look. Please listen. Once again, I pray you hear it spiritually. There's only one. God doesn't need to have money. We don't need to have money. We could have had barter. We, we could have. He's a very creative God. There could have been a million ways to deal with this. You have money for one reason and one reason only. The kingdom. So that you can sow into eternity. You're going to exist forever in heaven. And Jesus said this, use your wealth to build for yourself treasure in, not on earth. Not on earth. Use your wealth. You have finances in your pocket, in your bank account, for one reason in the mind of Christ. To build eternity. Now listen, keep listening. As you do that, as you make that your heart's disposition, God says, oh, and by the way, 
When that becomes your motive, I'll look after you. I provide seed to the sower. I provide seed to the sower. So you sow, and I will look after. It says that your reservoir, your store will increase. So God has never had a problem with prosperity. Prosperity is not the problem your heart is. It's the hearts of men. That's the problem. God wants to bless. But we get corrupted by the world in which we live. The purpose of money is for your eternal reward. Remember, let's test your memory here, all right. Who was the second richest man who ever lived? (laughs) Do you remember? That was Solomon was the first. Solomon was the richest man of all time, comparatively. The second richest man, they say, remember, was Joseph of Arimathea. Because Joseph had the body of Jesus Christ for three days. Oh, God, yeah. Just let that sink in a minute. God, eternal God, sent his son to become flesh, was crucified, and there's the body, and it's taken down. And God Almighty looks at the earth, and he sees Joseph. He says, Joseph, take my son and look after him. Three days. And they say because Joseph had the body of Jesus Christ, they say he was the second wealthiest, if you like, because we can't contradict Scripture, man who ever lived on this planet. My point is this. When we get to heaven, where will Joseph of Arimathea be? Very close. Very close to God. Would you agree? Very close to the throne. And my point to you is, he bought that place. He bought that position. He was a wealthy man. He used his wealth to buy a tomb. And with the tomb, he used it for God. You understand? And this is what Jesus taught. Use your earthly wealth to build up for yourself not treasures on earth, but for heaven's sake, lift up your eyes. Get a bigger vision. Get a wider perspective. And build yourself treasures in heaven. And anyway, I will look after you. That's not a problem. It's a faith issue there. Number 11, don't despise the day of small things. Many Christians will say, oh, well, if God gave me a million pounds, I would be glad to give 20 pounds to the Lord. You know what I mean? You need to start today and you need to start with what you've got. Paul says the gift is acceptable in accordance with what one has, not with what one doesn't have. If you're sitting there this morning and thinking, I haven't got, you know, X, Y, Z number of thousands, you're on the wrong track. The wrong track. The gift is acceptable in accordance with what one has. So start from where you are. Don't despise the day of small things. It's not about numbers or big figures. God's not impressed with that, so forget it. That's the wrong way to approach this. Number 12, and this is a real word. I got this as a word. I know it sounds simple, forgive me, but I put it down because I I really felt it from the Lord. Those of you in business, make that business your father's business. Okay? I know we've covered that before, but as I say, I just felt that really prophetically. Do you know what I saw? I saw like someone in business. I don't know who it was. Someone was in business and they had their business. They said, oh, there you go, God. There's your bit. And still my business. Oh, there you go, God. Thanks very much. And God was like a sideshow. 
to their lives and their business. That's not it, is it? That's not it. God was saying, take your business and make it your father's business. Dedicate everything to God. And say, God, you know what? Make it work for the kingdom. Make it work for souls. Plenty of businesses out there, right? Plenty of business. Don't need any more businesses. Let yours be different. And the last, point 13, finance comes with many warnings. Scripture warns those who hasten to get wealthy that you're on the wrong road. Those who love money, you're on the wrong road. Those who pursue riches, you're on the wrong road. Those who trust in riches, you're on the wrong road. And to all of those, what does Scripture say will happen to people who pursue wealth? They will pierce themselves with many griefs. Many stresses and strains and problems will come to them. So do not, do not, do not. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn your page over as well there if you could. And turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. This is a foundational scripture for for wealth, for prospering in life. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so He confirms His covenant. He swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord and you follow other gods, mammon, bow down and worship like the world. If you ever forget the Lord your God and you follow other gods and you worship and bow down to them, I testify against you this day that you will surely be destroyed. As I say, God is a good father and he will not permit you to lose your eternal soul. And so if you're getting further and further away from God because you have not sanctified your attitude to finance, believe me, he will bring you to destruction to save you. Are you with me? Remember the Lord, for it is He who gets... It's not just about wealth, folks. I thank God for Jeanette. Jeanette is, a, is, a, is an awesome wife. Very good wife. And I am a wonderful husband. She is an awesome wife. And you know, emotionally, I don't need anything. I'm fine. We are very much in love. And I give her all the emotion as a human being. You see? But you know, do you know what I could say? Thanks, church. But actually, Jeanette and I, we've got everything we need. And some people, they're single. They come to church and they say, give me a wife, give me a wife. And God gives them a wife or a husband. And the next thing they think, well, do you know what? I don't actually need God anymore because I've got everything I wanted. What about... Remember the Lord, for it is He who gave you wealth. It is He who gave you emotional strength. It is He who gives you health, wealth. Don't abandon the God who blessed you. Don't use His blessings against Him. Amen? Amen? But if God, whatever way God has blessed you, rejoice in that. Rejoice in it, but use it to benefit others in the kingdom. The second notes there, the second side then. Deuteronomy 8.18. I put a couple of questions at the top. When we were in Romania, we did a conference there on finances. 
And some of the questions that came up, can I buy salvation? Of course you can't buy salvation, but you use your money to store up riches in heaven. What if I give my money? The, the, the first question at the top of the page. What if I give all my money to the church and Pastor Tom buys himself a sports car? <laughs> um, what, what, what if I give my money to the church and I feel that the church are not, they're not wise enough with it? Okay? This prevents people from giving. Stops people giving. And this is a serious point here. It, it doesn't bother me, you see, because it's not my responsibility. In the book of Acts, always go back to Scripture, you'll find it somewhere. In the book of Acts, it says this. They brought their finance and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Then what did they do? Walk away. It's no longer your responsibility. That's why you've got leadership. Actually, this church is excellent in terms of its stewardship of finances. We are not abusive. We haven't looked after ourselves. We have tithed faithfully to missions worldwide. And I'm very happy with that. Very, very happy with that. So you can be confident in that. And we will continue with missions first in all we do, right? We could easily have gone another road. We could easily have already purchased a nice building or whatever. We could have done those things like a thousand other churches. We'll get there. Fourteen years and six and a half thousand church plants, VFC got their first building. Fourteen years of the people giving... And six and a half thousand churches around the world at that stage. And Rick bought his first building. Because he put missions at the top of the agenda. And the only reason they bought the buildings was because he felt a prophetic word. That the government were going to shut down the right for Christians to buy. So it wasn't because they felt they'd arrived in it. That wasn't the motivation. The motivation was to secure the church on the island. Okay? Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord. And then you come back to those four. These four issues here, they're never going to go away. The sooner we embrace them, the better. The tithe is foundational to Scripture. It's in Genesis, right? It's foundational to your, to, to your spiritual growth, to your spiritual life, as I shared at the beginning. The free will offering will make you spontaneous in your giving. And I hope that you can start to do that if you haven't done it already. Be freely give. Freely you have received. Now freely give. Become a channel through which God can flow. The sacrificial offering, that's where God changes us and we become like Jesus because we've sacrificed, we've given something up and our character, our personality is changed that way. And then the last one is the faith thing, which is next week. We're making a faith pledge. Oh man, I don't know what pledges you've ever made. But let me, please listen, everybody, everybody listen. You can't make any more mistakes. Okay? If you have a thousand pounds in the bank, and next week Pastor Tom's going to take up the pledge, and you write down a thousand pounds faith pledge, keep your money. Because you're wasting everybody's time. It's an offering. If you've got a thousand pounds, it's not faith. It's not faith. And we would normally seek God for our faith pledge. I didn't even have to wait one second. I got back off the plane. I'm not even unpacked. And God has already spoken to me without me seeking, without going to him. A crystal clear word. This is what I want you to give. An amount we have nowhere near. That's how keen 
God is to break through in missions. Look at it from his perspective. Do you know what scripture says? That God has put his hope in you. He's put his hope in you. It says that God has put his trust. His trust in you. Awesome privileges. Awesome honor. And God is very keen. He's ready. Now please listen. Pay your tithe. If you're not tithing, tithe now. Don't go straight to the top. Okay? 10%. Go and give somebody an offering here this morning. I just want you to come through the process. Okay? Go and give somebody a free will offering today. I just want to bring you to the top. And then do something good this week. The, the, Japan, Haiti. Go and see Ian and Brenda. And give them some finance sacrificially. Give something up. And they'll send that money across to Haiti for the disaster relief. Okay? Take me seriously. Don't, don't play games here. Listen to me. If you're not tithing, tithe. Bless somebody today. And after you've blessed and you know you're running low on funds, I want you to make a sacrificial offering. Give something up. Suffer a little bit. You know, somebody once said, a person who hasn't suffered is not worth knowing. I know it's a generalization, but you know the point. You get the point. Make a sacrificial offering. And then, listen. Then listen. You will never be chased for your faith pledge. The church will never pursue you for it. We, we're, that's not the point. What happens if I put down you know, an amount I can't afford? That's not the point. Nobody will chase you for it. The point is, you hearing maybe for the first time a proper, play, a proper faith, 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 faith. The goal of God with all his disciples was to bring them to faith. And it hasn't changed. Now, the gracious nature of God, instead of putting you through some terrible trauma, instead of making you stress out with something else, what does he do? He gives you this. What a good father. Do you know what I'll do? I'll take you the easy way. Come on, pay your tithe. Go and bless someone. And I'll change you this way. And this is a lot easier than having some massive life crisis or whatever that draws faith from you. Do you follow me? Now, people get hung up. If you look under faith there, I put Kerry Woods, the five-pound example. I don't know if you remember that, but I thought it was very bold of the guy, very honorable of the man to give this example in the church I was in. He was sitting in the middle of the church. He was a young man, and he only had five pounds in his pocket, and he needed that five pounds to get a taxi home. He lived, the church was in Cardiff. He lived outside in Dennis Powers. He wanted to get a taxi at the end of the meeting. He had no way home. But he heard God put the five pounds in. You know, it's like the offering box starts going round up here and he's sitting over there and he says, okay, I'll put it in. And the offering gets nearer and he says, you know, it's a long walk actually to Dennis Powell. <laughs> it might be raining, you know. And he starts to talk himself out of it. And by the time the offering gets there, he doesn't put it in. And he goes to leave the church at the end of that night and someone ran after him and said, Kerry, Kerry, five pound note. Here's the five quid I owe you. Ah. And the following week he came back 
And he said, if only I had acted in faith. I didn't even have enough faith for Fiverr. I didn't even have that much to believe God when I hear his voice. Oh, unbelieving generation, you see? And I thought it was very good of him to share that, but that's typical. No problem. God wanted us to, wanted him to learn. He wants us to learn. Make all the mistakes you want. It's not important. The mistakes aren't important. I put down there, fear is costing you. Believe me, fear is costing you more than you know. Fear is costing you because you're frightened to give, frightened to hear, frightened of what God might say. And remember this, folks. God can prosper you in more ways than you can shake a stick at. There are countless ways that God can bless you. Endless ways. So don't get your humanistic thinking that says, well, how is it going to happen? That's not your problem. Your problem is to be the giver. God's issue is to get you or to to line you up with His promises in Scripture. That's how this works. In the cell group on Tuesday, I used to go sometimes to a Christian holiday camp called Summerhouse Bay. It's in South Wales. And it was falling apart. A huge camp owned by a lovely couple. And they were very kind to me. They let me use the place to, to fast and pray. They gave me a chalet and stuff. I could go there anytime I wanted. But the place was closed because it was falling apart. And they needed, they had like a goal of 250,000 pounds. This is many years ago. It's a lot of money. A lot of money today. It was a fortune then. They needed 250 grand to fix the place up. But they didn't have it. But they believed for it and they were faithful, faithful servants of God. But how's God going to do it? I mean, what's going to happen? What could possibly happen? That's not your job. They were on a ferry. can't remember whether they were going from Ireland to Wales or Wales to Ireland. And they're having a cup of tea. Him and his wife. And, and this elderly couple of two women came and they were having tea. And they, oh, hello. Hello. Nice day. Yes, nice day. Nice tea. Nice tea. We're Christians. Oh, so are we. Where are you? We're in Summerhouse Bay. Oh, I got South Wales. That's right. We own a Christian camp. Do you? It's falling down. Is it? Yes. We need 250,000 pounds. Oh, we'll give you that. We've got that. No one could see that coming. Don't let your head talk you out. God can sort it out. God can provide. That's not your problem. Don't go there. Don't let your mind take you there. And, and mark my words on this, folks. Do these. Step one, step two, step three. And then, when you hear that figure from God, go with the first one. Go with the first one. Because most often when God drops that figure in, it's the first figure that you need. He's willing, you see. It's we who talk ourselves out of it. Go with the first one and watch the hand of God move. Look at these ways here I've written that God can bless you. You can inherit wealth. The Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. Scripture says that God will open the windows of heaven. Scripture says that your heavenly Father gives good gifts to his children. You will prosper some 30, some 60, some 100. And I believe that's all of us should go from 30 to 60 to 100. That's what happened to Isaac. He functioned at all three levels. He grew from stage to stage. It says that God gives freely all good things to his children. 
says that through his poverty, we have become rich. And it says you will prosper as your soul prospers. And what that means basically is as you mature, as your soul, your personality, your disposition becomes more Christ-like, right? You become a better Christian, if I can put it that way. That's soul prosperity, right? You're working up that list. And in 3 John, verse 1, there's only one chapter, 3 John, verse 1, that says this, John's talking, and he says, Gaius, I pray that you prosper even as your soul prospers, as you're changed to become a better person. I pray above all things, he says, actually, that God prospers you. It's a new day, folks. New beginnings, new horizons being presented to you on a plate. Don't mess up now. You hear me? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is your moment. This is what we have been waiting for as a church, as Europeans. Next week is the faith pledge. Come prepared to take a step of faith. It's okay if you stumble and fall. It's not important. Just make that step of faith. Let's have the worship team back. If you could just stay in your seats a moment and just give you a few moments to consider what we've heard this morning. Maybe some of you want to talk to God about your own finances and hand them over to Him. Invite Him, and forgive me for the term, but invite Him to be your bank manager, as it were. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but invite Him to be your Jehovah Jireh. Every part of your life, your tithe, your generosity, your free will, and above all, our faith.